Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first scripture lesson reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Hear the word of the Lord from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. This is at the end of the letter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Centraea, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting to all the saints and help her with whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risked their necks for my life, to whom I owe great thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church at their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was one of the first converts in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives, who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my brother Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet beloved Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen of the Lord. And greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Do any of you know the children's book entitled, Are You My Mother? 
Some of you do. It's a great little book. It's a story about a bird who has just hatched from his egg, a baby bird. And his mother flies off for a moment to bring him some food. And this inquisitive little bird goes searching for his mother. And in his search, he asks a kitten, a dog, a hen, and a cow, are you my mother? And each of them say, no, I am not your mother. In desperation, the little bird cries out to a boat and to a plane, are you my mother? <sighs> On they went. And then, convinced that he has found his mother, he climbs into the teeth of an enormous earth mover. And suddenly the earth mover says, snort. And he says, you are not my mother. You are a snort. I want my mother. And then the snort, the earth mover, gently lifts the little bird up to the tree and places him gently in the nest. His mother returns, and he tells her about all of his adventures. This little book reminds us of something very important about God and the way God made each of us. We are all wired to desire connections with other people, whether it's family or friends or people who share a common interest with us, or many of us are seeking someone to help us with a problem. We're all looking for somebody all the time. And it's our desire to connect with others that brings us into things like clubs and sports teams and, yes, even the church. With a click of a mouse, we can get on Google or Facebook, and we can try to locate people with whom we are connected. And if we're really curious, we can get on Ancestry.com and trace our roots. What is clear, though, is that God made each of us with a connection gene. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about connectedness. And um, one of the ways we know that connections are important to God is because the Bible is filled with these sections that are nothing but genealogies. The first one is in Genesis 4. We find the first of what the King James Version of the Bible calls the begats. Adam and Eve begat Cain and Abel and Seth. And Cain and Abel fell into a bit of trouble, so Abel begat no one. But Seth begat Enoch, and Enoch begat, begat Erod, and on and on it goes. As dull as these genealogies may seem to us, people, the Hebrew people, would sit around the the fire reciting the genealogies and remembering the stories that went with each individual person. In Hebrew culture, genealogies were prized. Um, and so with each name came a story, and each story came an experience or a lesson. And with each experience or lesson represented in the genealogy, there's learning or there's growth. It is in the context of relationships and connections that we all are formed. From the beginning of the Bible, we see that people are not accidents and relationships are not insignificant. Each person is made in the image of God, born into a particular family, often into particular struggles or even advantages. But one thing is clear, individual people 
matter to God. Now, as Christians, we know that our family is not just our biological family, but it's also our Christian family. You may remember one time Jesus was teaching somewhere and his mother and his brothers come to the door and someone comes to Jesus and said, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus said this, he said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Wow. Might sound like Jesus is taking a swipe at his mother and his brothers, but the truth of it is that Jesus had in mind something much bigger. Jesus wasn't disregarding his family, but he was offering family status to anyone who placed their trust in him. All of his followers are in God's family. So Jesus set a new family standard. But, you know, we human beings have always been relationally challenged. Um, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were kicked out of the garden. And when their children, Cain and Abel, grew up, Cain killed Abel. And this is the first murder reported in the Bible, and it was among siblings. Now, Cain went and lived under the Lord's protection For the rest of his days, but he was separated from his mom and his dad. And, you know, it just goes to show you that challenges in families are as old as the hills, literally. So in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, which we often read at Christmas time, Matthew includes five women Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary. And with the exception of Mary, each one of these women uh, have pretty sordid histories. You remember Tamar. She bore twin sons to her father-in-law, Judah. And that's a strange story. And it is fraught with scandal and with pain. Then there's Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who helped Joshua and his men capture Jericho. Also in Jesus' genealogy is Ruth. Ruth was not a Hebrew, although she'd married one. She was from the country of Moab. And Moab was a nation that resulted in the, from the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And of course, there's Bathsheba. We remember her as the one with whom David committed adultery. Now, I know the stories of the men in Jesus' genealogy are just as fascinating, but the mere inclusion of these four women speaks volumes about about us and about how God works through us. It just says God works through us no matter our relationships, whether they seem whole or broken. And through the genealogies of the Bible, God is whispering to us, people, y'all matter. Community is important, and somehow we are all connected. Now, the Apostle Paul was the one who led the charge to include the Gentiles in the newly expanded family of God and Jesus Christ. Paul's concern was the spread of the good news of Jesus, and also he was concerned with the formation of communities who lived together in a shared faith. In Ephesians, 
Paul encourages that church to live a life worthy of the calling they have received, to be humble and gentle and patient. They were to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul reminds us always that there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We all live out our faith in the context of relationships. Now, in the closing to his letter to the church at Rome, which I read to you, Paul sends greetings of love and affection to 29 individuals and five um, house churches. The, at the end of this, Paul's letter drips with gratitude that Paul felt toward those people who had helped him, people with whom he had connected. He was grateful for their friendship and for their service alongside him. Some of those people had risked their lives for Paul. Others had given of their time and their talent and their resources for the cause of Christ. And Rufus's mother was a mother to Paul. How special is that? Each person is part of the story. Each person has a different role. All are important. Now, the idea of being connected to other Christians might seem old hat to those of you who may have been around the church a long time. You may have been raised in the church and known God's grace since you were a wee person. Or it could be that you are new to the church scene and you have been adopted by a family who has showered you in love and in grace. Most of you know that I work with students at Columbus State University through our ministry at the Abbey right across the street. My students have taught me much about the church and faith-based connections. You know, it's not as easy for young adults as it may have been for people of prior generations. It's not as easy for them to connect to the church. Um, the statistics show that indeed fewer of them have been raised in the church. And even if they were, I'll tell you, my students have taught me that they're in a life stage where everything is on the table and everything is changing. Now, some of them may not feel like they need spiritual or church connections because they are constantly connected, as Ed reminded you. They are always online and attuned to their phones. And, but um, what I've learned is that even though we have social media, social media has taught us this. It's taught us two things both our need to connect with others, it's a great illustration of that, but also the many ways in which we are relationally challenged and it's all out there for everybody to see. Because you know, it's, it's easier to communicate on social media in some ways than it is in person. You see, when you're on Facebook or Snapchat or Insta Instagram or somewhere, you can manage your image. You can put out there exactly what you want people to see and withhold those things you don't want them to see. You can tell them what your thoughts and feelings are without even having to see their faces. It, it, 
you, you never know when you're on social media, media if you have made somebody laugh, if you've made somebody cry, if you've perplexed or bewildered them, if you have hurt them or offended them. It's hard to know when you are not looking at somebody face to face. There is a wonderful uh, video poem online by a guy named Gary Turk. It was written a few years ago, and I'm going to read you the first verse. I have 422 friends, yet I am lonely. I speak to them all every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the space in between, looking into their eyes or a name on the screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realized this media we call social is anything but. When we open our computers, it's our doors we shut. Yikes. Could it be that in some ways, our connections on social media are keeping us from really connecting eyeball to eyeball? Could be true. But this is the world in which we live. And we need to be careful that no one receives our scorn or dismay for their interest in connecting with others through social media. Because it's really nothing that, but a tool that can be used and also used for great good, as, as Ed has just demonstrated to you this morning. But we do all need to continue to develop healthy eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball relationships with real people, especially in the life of following Jesus. Now, most of you might know that before I moved to Columbus, uh, my, or you, you don't know this, my understanding of college students was really confined to my two sons and maybe any college students I had in my congregation. Um, when I was asked to work at the Abbey, I was definitely deeply out of my league. I know that the college years can be tough. We all know this. They're leaving home often for the first time. They don't have limits or boundaries or parents to help them. They are academically and socially challenged. And I've had this job for two years now, and I've learned many things, but here's a big one. My students have taught me the importance of having healthy connections, not just being connected, but having healthy connections with others, friends, classmates, professors, and other adults, because they are trying to figure out who they are and who they're going to grow into being. So at the Abbey, we have the privilege of supporting them, and we do this in Jesus' name, and hopefully always with Jesus' love and grace. You, the people of First Presbyterian Church, are so important to the ministry of the Abbey. If I were to write a letter, I would conclude it much as Paul concluded his letter to the church at Rome. I would write to you my greetings and thanksgivings to tell those who prepare and provide those Tuesday lunches that this food reminds the students of home. And they're far from home. And in case I haven't told you before, food is love. <laughs> they would say, tell Truman, thank you for getting the Abbey ready for us and making sure everything's ready to go when we arrive on Tuesdays. And tell Cynthia that we love her kitchen creations, especially lasagna. 
tell Zhang Ha and his wife Yang that the food and fellowship and Bible study they provide for international students every Saturday has made them feel comfortable and at home in Columbus, and they are growing in their faith. Tell those who come and serve at the Abbey that their smiles just brighten our day. And when they come out from out of the kitchen and come sit down and talk to us and ask us about our day, that they're doing something really important. They are connecting us to the church and to a bigger intergenerational family that they crave. Tell them that Tell them that we love coming to a place where we are welcomed and listened to and prayed for and not judged. And when you share your Wednesday night supper with us, we feel the presence of God. Now, sometimes students are too shy to express their thanksgiving to you, yet they crave connection with you. They need and want to know you, and they need and want your prayers. You matter to them, and God is at work in mighty ways as you serve them with the grace of Jesus Christ. Before I uh, came to Columbus, I had a church in Kansas City, and in our church, we had a preschool And one year, I went to the last chapel service for the preschool that was conducted by the preschool director. And she was reminding the children of everything they learned that year in preschool. And she did what was called a recipe for a great year in preschool. And with her invisible scoop, she scooped up cups full of smiles and prayers and hugs and snacks and kindness and helpers. Each ingredient was measured and poured into a large pot. And then Kathy added little people teachers and parents and then all these little children who come together to form this community of the school. And she got her spoon and she gave it a big stir. And then out of it, she pulled a line of paper dolls, each one connected to the other to remind these students that they are connected with each other and that God loves us all and brings us together for God's purposes. So here's how I want to leave you with a little challenge. Give thanks to God for the people God has put in your life. And if they have done or said something for which you are really grateful, find a way to tell them. Now, some of you are struggling with some challenging relationships right now. I want you to ask yourself, what am I to learn from this person in this situation? And how might I be a part of making things in our relationship a little better? Ask God to lead you to new connections that will help you grow and bring glory to God. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. But he might just as well have said, go and make some new connections. 
Go live your life alongside others with faith that Christ is present with you to build bridges to the most unexpected people and places. Since the time Jesus has walked on this earth, the good news has traveled organically from person to person, church to church, family to family, life to life. There is a parade of someones who made it possible for us to all be here together today. God is at work in our connections. Thanks be to God. And alleluia and amen.